There are miracles all around us. You know, just because you don't see a miracle doesn't mean that a miracle is not happening. Um, for example, this morning, this Torah scroll has been brought in here and it was opened up and it was closed back up at some point. A beautiful expression of Yeshua came up and shared. Benjamin. And this is a miracle because if you could see where this thing has been, it's a miracle that it's actually together because the scripture says that the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. And I don't know if we understand what all that means, but what I do know is that when I went to Haiti and I brought the Torah scroll, these people had never seen it, never even heard of it. And when I explained to them that this is the word of the Lord in its original form, handwritten on lamb's skin in Hebrew, there was a mob of chocolate Yeshua's grabbing and surrounding, and I'm telling you, I have no idea how it has stayed intact. Because where there is great physical hunger, there's also great spiritual hunger. And so when you see a season and a time when this nation no longer has food, do not think that God is displeased with this nation. God just wants this nation to hunger after him. Judgment only comes because he loves us too much to allow us to remain in our comfortable, relaxed, Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Spirit of the Lord. You know, it's so amazing. We all need to be loved. We all need to be loved. We all need to be received. We all need to be, in many ways, kind of validated, accepted. There's this weird flaw in us. Because the moment someone looks at you and says, wow, that was so amazing. You're so beautiful. Oh, no, 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 not me. You just feel so uncomfortable when someone is blessing you. Like we want it when it comes. This hour, this season, it's imperative that you hear. You need to hear what your father thinks of you. And you need to understand that what he thinks of you has absolutely nothing to do with how others see you or how you see yourself, which is always the worst. The way you see yourself is never the way God sees you. And this hour you need to see, you need to understand, because, because there are th there's a transition coming. And this transition 
Oh, God. You see, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego need to transition from being the kosher boys who don't eat whatever. That's not enough. You see, we think that what we're doing, God is saying, that's good, but that's not enough. I need to transition. I need a shift. I need to do something that is going to force you into a place, into a situation in which there will be no hope. Yeah, 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 I know you don't eat the king's food and it's a great thing and you're healthy and I got it and you pray to the God of Israel, great, 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 but I am not satisfied with that. I got to bring you to a place where everything you've done is for nothing and it'll all be burned away. It's like Abraham, yes, 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 Isaac, the son of the promise, but you got to go up to the mountain to kill it. Yeah, 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 Joseph, I know I told you that that your brothers are going to bow down to you, but you need to be put into a pit. See, I can't fulfill the call. I can't bring about the word. I can't do what I have planned to do based on your perception of how it's going to happen. I have to place you in a position where according to you, my promise has completely disappeared. And when it has disappeared, then I will make forth the promise as I had intended in the beginning because my promise about your brothers bowing down to you was not just what you saw. My promise was to give you a revelation of who I am towards my own people. And it is to save more than your brothers. It's to save a nation. It's to save peoples around this nation. What I have in store is greater than you understand. You need to see with his eyes. Come up this morning and, you know, the music just opens up something in us. It, it just opens something up in us. It touches places that are very vulnerable. And it is in those moments of vulnerability that something is conceived Oh, you can kiss the girl, you can say all kinds of nice things to the girl, you can give her earrings, you can do all kinds of beautiful things to the Lord, but it ain't until that music is playing, the candles are waving, and she begins to undress, (laughs) where she becomes so vulnerable, and then she gets pregnant. And everything she was trying to do to keep her beauty and her everything and her shape and all that goes out the window and it don't matter because she done got pregnant. It's too late. The Spirit of God is doing this at this hour. Mary may have been the first one who had that experience of being pregnant by God, but she ain't the only one. 
And this transgender mix-up of who's the boy and who's the girl, that's just Satan trying to mess up God's plan. He don't care if you're a man or a woman. He's going to impregnate you anyway. If you're a daughter, he sees you as a son. If you're a son, he sees you as the bride. There ain't nothing new under the sun. And it is imperative that you begin to see as he sees. See as he sees. Oh, Lord, you're beautiful. Yeah, we can sing that. But he doesn't want us to miss how the song is really, really, really heard in the heavenlies. How beautiful you are. There's something in my spirit just resonating which has to do with the the silence of God. We, want, we want God to talk. We want God to move. We want God to, we want revival. We want, we want, we want, we want, we want. And we don't understand that the greatest thing God does oftentimes is in his silence. When he's saying nothing. When he's doing nothing. And I have to share this today because today is an hour of shadows. Today is a day of silence because at this very moment in the windows of time, the disciples are not dancing and praising the Lord because God is fulfilling his plan that he promised through the prophets long ago. They're not jumping. You know why? Because on this day, the king of glory, the hope of Israel, the redeemer, the light of the world has died and there is no hope. Oh, we can look back at the story because we already see what's after it. But for our brothers who, and sisters who were there at this moment, they did not see what we now know. Ask yourself, why? Why would Peter deny the Lord? That doesn't make any sense. He ain't no wimp. When he saw the soldiers and the mob coming to get him, what did he do? He took out a sword without fear, and he was looking to lob off someone's head. Thank goodness to that young servant, he moved just in time, and his head went, his ear went flying out. This is not a man who is afraid. Why? Why moments later people are saying, you knew him. I know you. I seen him. He says, I don't know. I don't know. I do not know him. And we begin to swear using words to prove that he has nothing to do with the Galilean. Why? How does this happen? How does this happen? What is he? Losing his mind? Dude, you just pulled out a sword. You're ready to kill. Why are you denying him? Well, first of all, he's denying him because if, if the hope we put in this guy is going down the drain, who am I? You see, when you see the king low, you're low. You have no strength. It's like what Moses said, if you don't go with us, I can't go. We can't go. If you're not going, how can I go? But that's what we see, and that may have been the reason why Peter did what he did. But God is doing something, and he's doing it without words. Because something needs to happen to Peter. Peter was just handed a key. And now God needs to show to Peter, let me show you why I gave you the key. 
Because in our humanness, when uh, the leader, the president, the rabbi, whoever, maybe the pastor looks and says, I need to entrust a key to somebody. Everyone is in their best behavior. You know, you're saying, oh, not me. And you're saying, pick me, pick me. I done been coming for years now. Been paying my tithes. I always say, amen, praise the Lord, hallelujah. I come on time. I leave late. Hallelujah. I know I'm radiating with the glory of God. But I'm just saying, oh, I I will humbly accept the key. And the leader is looking for someone to give the key to. And we're all in our best behavior. And as he's looking, he's looking, he's looking. He sees the hooker who walks in for the first time because she thought this was a brothel. And he goes, you, take the key. And we're all like, what, what, what is going on? Was he pointing at me? You know when someone goes like that, you, and you think it's you, and then you look behind, there's somebody else waving, you feel kind of stupid. Because we all think, I I shit, Lord, I'll, I'll take care of that key. He's not interested in giving the key to the greatest disciple. He's not interested in giving the key to the disciple of love. He's not interested to give it to anybody. He's interested in giving it to one, but they still don't know why he gave it to that one. Well, this moment when Yeshua is being taken away, without God saying a word, God is speaking something, and it needs to be heard across the windows of time, because if Peter has a key. You have the key. And I'm going to tell you why. God cannot give the key to the best. He has to give the key to the worst. To the one who denies. Because when he gives the key to the worst. And the worst is in charge of who comes in. The worst will never see someone worse than him that says, I'm sorry, you can't come in. He says, come on in. And in case you don't know this, in Hebrew, in the, in, 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 throughout the scripture, there's something very important about numbers as we saw this morning. Our beautiful brother sharing these things are so significant to them because numbers are very important. Indeed, they are important to God. And three in scripture means something very, very powerful. Three is something that is completely established. He cannot be the God of Abraham. He has to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It takes three generations to establish who God is. He is not interested on a field that produces 30-fold. It has to be 30, 60, and 100-fold. There's something about this, 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 this triune thing that happens with God that it cannot be established until three things happen one after another after another it means once you've done that three times it is irreversible so when Peter denies Yeshua Peter places him in a position that cannot be reversed it means I have denied the Lord once, twice, three times and there is no hope for me It's unreversible. There is no hope. 
And it says that Peter went outside and wept bitterly. It's irreversible. But God loves irreversible things. Because if there's hope for you, whoop-dee-doo. But when there is no hope for you, then the angels marvel. Who is this God? Who is this God that can take that which is irreversible and reverse it for his glory? He has to give the keys to Peter because Peter irreversibly denied the Lord. And it drives me crazy. In this day and age, 2,000 years ago, people are still wondering, have you denied the Lord? Did you accept the Lord? 2,000 years later, we're still stuck on stupid. None of us, none of us accepted the Lord. The Lord has accepted us. We're still stuck trying to figure out. Do you believe once saved, always saved? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Give me. Oh, can, and everyone's like, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, you don't know because you think your salvation is based on your ability to keep on keeping on. You're saved because the Savior is grabbing a hold of you. So the answer is, I don't know the answer to the question, but you, wanna, you better ask the one who's holding on to me. I ain't holding on to myself. He's holding on to me. If he is weak enough to let me go, then I'll go into hell and praise him there. But wherever I am, he is. So how can I not be? If I am not, then he is not. And he is. Oh. God moving. With revelation, without speaking a word. It is greatly important for you to understand how your father moves. How your father moves. How your father moves. You, 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 know, you do know that the only way... You can see him move. Is if you stand in front of the mirror, wondering, how does he move? Oh, there you go. That's how he moves. There it is. Oh, Lord, move. Move, Lord. Come on, Lord, move. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Come. <laughs> Where's he coming from? Last time I checked, he lives inside of you. Where is he coming from? Oh, well, I used to go there, but I didn't feel the Spirit of the Lord, so now I walk out. Really? If you were there, how could the Spirit not be there? God moves, speaks, without you seeing a single thing, without you hearing a single word. 
And I just want to bring you back at this moment to just spend some time with the disciples, with the ones who love the King of Glory, who saw him taken down. Because you need to see how God moves and what he's doing and what he's saying when he's saying nothing. This is important because an hour is coming and the Lord says a time is coming when people will go to and fro looking for the word and they will not find it. Do not be the people looking for the word. Awaken to the reality that the word is in you and that's why you will not find it because you cannot find that which you already are. On that day they will say, He's in the desert. He's in the city. Do not go. Why not? Because how could he be in the desert and the city when he lives in you? You don't need looking for the one when he is the one in you. And this morning you need to see the things that God is saying. He gives the key to the worst. To the worst. So that the least may come in. we got this Adamic nature. We're, we're, we're still trying so hard to please God. You don't know. He says, I am the potter. You are the clay. I will make a vessel that is pleasing to me, says the Lord. How can you please the potter who decided to bring you into this world for the sole purpose of him forming you into a vessel that pleases himself. All you can do is be a hunk of mud and spin around. And he's going to push you and squeeze you and stick his thumbs inside of you and water you, and dry you. And when it's not working very well, he'll crumble you up and start all over again. It wasn't backsliding. You didn't backslide. He done just screwed it up a little bit. So he's going, it wasn't you. It was him. He says, it says, because when, he says, look, when the clay is marred in the hands of the potter, he will begin working again. Until he makes for himself. And I don't care if he's making a peat pot. I don't care if he's making me a goblet. I don't care what he's making. But when he's done making it, he looks at it and says, I made that. And it's for me. Ain't nobody coming into the house of the Lord and says, what is that? He'll say, shut up. Because I made it for me. Now you need to understand the moments when God is not speaking. Because while we're talking about the potter, there is a mystery that Adonai wants us to understand. You see, when a potter makes things, as long as the clay is wet and dry, he can keep working on it. But there is a point in which he takes this thing and puts it in the kiln in the fire. And the fire just goes into another 
degree and, 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 and something transforms in this clay, it is no longer clay that can be used for anything except for the vessel that it was supposed to be. And sometimes, sometimes there's a little bubble of air inside of this little vessel. And in the kiln with the fire, it explodes and it cracks open. And so when, when the, the process is done, the potter looks in there and this thing is all shards, busted up. At this point, the potter can do nothing for this vessel. It cannot rework it. It cannot do anything with it. And so the potter takes this vessel and he brings it outside to a place called a potter's field. A potter's field is a place that has all the broken pots that cannot be redeemed, restored. And it's so full of these shards that you can't grow anything there. You basically just bury garbage there. You need to understand what a potter's field is in order to understand what God is saying when he's not saying a single word. It is a place of curse. It is a place of unredemption. It is a place that nothing can be used from this place. It is a potter's field without hope. That potter is done. And it is around this time, around this area, in fact, it would have been about yesterday, that one of the disciples got up and, and Yeshua said, what you do, do it quickly. And he ran out and he had made a deal with the leaders. And he said to the leaders, how much will you give me? <laughs> how much will you give me if I betray Yeshua? What are you going to pay me? I will, I will bring you to him and you'll grab him. What will you pay me? And it's amazing because even men who have a wicked heart, they cannot run away from what is written in the Torah and they're speaking prophecies without knowing what is going on. And they thought amongst themselves and says, you know what? We'll give you 30 pieces of silver. They have no idea what they're saying. You see, in the Torah, it says, if you have a slave and your neighbor's bull gores him to death and rips him into a million pieces, the owner of the bull has to pay 30 silver coins for the price of the slave. See, they didn't understand Yeshua came as a slave. He was the slave. They had, they couldn't give him more or less than the price that the Torah says you have to pay for the slave that gets gorged to death. Yeshua was about to be gorged to death. And without knowing, they set the price according to the Torah for a slave that is destroyed by a bull. And God isn't there. He's not saying anything. They're making this up as they go along. And Judas thinks, that sounds all right. He don't negotiate. He doesn't know why. 30 pieces of silver. God is not saying a single word. But it is the price, according to Torah, for a slave that is about to be gorged to death. Gorged, gorged ripped apart. And Judas, looking at the situation, seeing that Yeshua is not defending himself, seeing that, that what he did is going to bring death 
to the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's, he's filled with, 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 with indescribable remorse. He single-handedly has handed over the king of the universe to be destroyed. And he can't stop it. He can't stop it. You know why he can't stop it? Because he didn't start it. That's why he can't stop it. He didn't start it. We think he started it. He can't. Yeshua said, no one can take my life. I freely give it. It is for this reason I have come into this world. He can't stop what he didn't start. And he tries. And he goes back into the temple. And he says to the priest, he says, I can't do this. Take the money. Take the money. Take the money. And he tosses the money to them. They say, we can't take it. Why? Because according to Torah... You cannot receive an offering of blood money. It's right in Torah. You can't do it. Can't do it. So the priests have this money sitting there in front of them. Now watch this. Judas runs away. Because he knows there's no hope for him. For people who think he was doing it for the money, you really don't understand what God's doing. Because he had the money. So why is he throwing the money away and running off? That doesn't make any sense. He was awakened, awakened, awakened. Why? Because God is saying without words, Judas, I am not done. I got to do a visual here. I got to do a visual. I went in the back and God helped me. I hope it all works out. But this right here is the potter's field. I got the the thing without all the coffee because I was scared. I have little faith. That seems safe to me. Now Judas, without hope, without any hope, tosses the money and he runs off. Not a single one of the priests know where he's going. And he runs. And you know what he's looking for? He's looking for the only place that is worthy of him committing suicide in Because he has no hope. He's not going home to kill himself in home. He has to go to a place that has no redemption. He ran to the field without hope. He ran to the field without any redemption. And as he finds the field... And he begins to set up a rope. And he starts to put it around his neck. At the same time, back... Inside where the priests are deciding what to do with the money. They don't know what to do with it. They can't use it in the temple. They're trying to figure out what to do. They don't know what to do. But meanwhile, Judas is putting a rope around his neck. On the field without hope. And as he tosses himself to be hung there on that tree. Without any knowledge. The priests in the temple say, let's buy the potter's field. And in the moment that Judas hangs himself on the field with no hope, the priests purchased the potter's field and the potter's field became part of the kingdom of heaven. It is property of the temple of God. 
He's hanging uh, and he's dying and his insides open up. But his body landed on the field that was purchased by the Lord. And where did they get the money for that? The death of Jesus paid for the potter's field. Because he wants us to know that he is the potter who is able to restore even that which can never be restored again. And all of this happens without him saying one single word. It's like God comes up to a bunch of messed up humans and and takes and says, what are you going to do with it? And you could try to mess it up. And at the end of the day, everything you do will be turned for the glory of God. The silence of God. The silence of God. You know, some of us are like, are like the, the broken shards on that field. And it's so bad. It don't matter how much you know, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me, God loves me. You just can't get rid of those shattered moments of your life that are stuck on this stupid field. We can't, we can't do it. We try. We're forever trying to figure out a way to cover that. And God is saying, what are you trying to cover? That's my field now. With men, it's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God's speaking. God's speaking without a single word. God is dead. What did he say? You have to hear what I'm saying. Okay, so all right, yeah, God's not dead. I saw the movie. I get it. But go back 2,000 years ago today, and to you, he's gone. Ain't nobody saying, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Wait till he resurrects. None of them saw that. In his time of darkness, in his time of darkness, The time of shadows. He looks across the windows of the universe and says, show me. Show me a situation that I cannot restore. That I I cannot redeem. So I can come here and say, dearly beloved, we're gathered here today to (laughs) celebrate this thing called life. Electric white love. But I'm going to tell you something else. You You see, because if you understand how God works and you recognize what I'm saying as lyrics that were sung by, by, by some musician who just passed away, you will understand the heart of God. If God, if God knows when a sparrow falls from the sky, if God knows when a sparrow falls from the sky, you think he doesn't know when, when, when someone named Prince falls? You think he doesn't know? You think his heart 
It's not there. You think that this man was able to write lyrics on his own? You don't think that God uses whoever he wants, however he wants to do what he needs to do? <laughs> Only difference between the way God feels about someone like Prince dying is that he feels about everyone exactly the same way. <laughs> And yet, How broken. You'll hear people say, well, was he a believer? What? Is who a believer? The Lord is a believer. And I rest in his belief. I rest in his ability. I rest in his ability to save me. When I see what he did when he was not even speaking to bring redemption to the potter's field. <laughs> How can I doubt what he's going to do? How can I question what he's going to do? And I have to bring it to the last moment of God's silence. It is tomorrow morning. I think people are either too devastated, too scared to come and check out what's going on. But there's a hook. She ain't scared. God is so funny. He can't rely on Mary, Yeshua's mother, because she's way too distraught to come to see what happened. His mom, moms are like that. The disciples are all hiding. It's over. They're all trying to figure out where they're going to find a job. They're looking for Obamacare now because they're going to need it. They're going to need it. They're wondering who's going to be the next president, and they're hiding. But see, God needs somebody to come and see that you can't look for the living among the dead. So who does he use? He uses a woman who has had sex with so many men, has been slapped on the behind so many times. She is not ashamed or afraid of anything. So she comes because she's a hooker. She don't care. She ain't got nothing to prove to nobody. You see, sometimes you think someone is backsliding or, or living a bad life. No, they're not living any life. He is the potter. They are the clay. And he needs a hooker to come find out that you cannot find the living among the dead. He needs a thief to be on the cross to say, remember me. He needs people to be where he needs to put them so that the glory of God can come forth. He needs to have you blind, blind from birth so that you can say, I once was blind, but now I see. And people say, who did this to you? And you can say, I don't know. I don't know his name. I don't know if he's got power. I don't know if he's from God. I don't know if he's from the devil. All I know is I once was blind, but now I see. <laughs> so a hooker comes in. And she sees the tomb. The stone has been rolled away. And it's amazing. She doesn't say, oh, Lord Jesus, I knew he would resurrect. No, because that is not her reality. She don't care where he is. She's going to just put, her, put him in her pocket, bring, bring him home with her. She can put little flowers and wreaths around his head. She don't care he's dead. She just, she just wants to hold on to him. She just wants to be near him. 
And she runs and she tells the disciple, they done moved him. They moved him. It's funny, she never looked in to see if they moved, but she said they moved him. And they come running, you know the story, they come running. Peter runs first. John passes him. John gets there, he won't go in. Peter goes in. They look inside. And they say, you know the story. You know, they, they, they see, they see the, the, the wraps that were around the body, like, tossed on the corner. And then they see the napkin or the wrap that was on his head, nice and folded, sitting right there. And I know, I know, we know the revelation, you know, you know, back then or now or whatever. I don't even know if someone made this up, but it sounds so good. You know, it says that, you know, when you go out and eat and you're sitting down and when you're done with your meal, you, you take your napkin and you, and, you, and you just toss it. And that means that the, means you're done. You ain't coming back. And then the servants come and clean up. Your, you know, you've heard this, right? This is like old revelation. But I'm going to say it now. You know, so, and, and then what happens is if, you, if you're the Lord of the house and you eat, and, and, and your food's still there, but you got to go to the bathroom. You're going to come back. You fold your napkin, see? Nice. And when you go to the bathroom, the servants don't mess up with the meal because they know you're coming back. See? Oh, he's coming back because it's, it's folding. This is a beautiful revelation. Again, I don't, I don't know if it's real, but it sounds so good. So we're going to go with it today. It's a Hebraic thing. I mean, I never read it anywhere, but it sounds good. Because there it was, folded. That means coming again, coming again. Jesus is coming again. That's what it means. And we're all dancing, and th- but we're missing something. We're missing something. You see, that which was wrapped around his body was tossed to the side. But only that which was wrapped around his head was folded. If that revelation is real, what he's saying is, this ain't coming back. My head is returning. And it's going to look for a body. I need a body. Foxes have holes and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to put his head. He ain't talking about a house or, or, or a bed. He's talking about a body, and he needs a body. While everybody's waiting for him to come, he's coming, yet he's already here. If you have ears to see and, and eyes to hear, <laughs> just making sure you're awake. He's coming, and all this is happening in perfect silence without him saying a single word. He's looking for a body. You mind if he uses yours? And if he's using if he's using your body, <laughs> and I want to bless the Lord, you're going to have to get used to me going up to you and saying, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Yes, I love you. And this is what he meant when he said, Peter. Do you love me? 
Yeah, Peter, do you love me? Two, two times. Yeah, Peter, do you love me? See, Peter got sad the third time because Peter don't understand what's happening. See, the Lord who is able to reverse that which is irreversible, transformed out of Peter's mouth, I love you, I love you, I love you, and undid, I don't know you, I don't know you, I don't know you. And when Peter is transformed, he asks him, Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs. And then he says, <laughs> love one another as I have loved you. Back it up, Jesus. Back it up. I can handle to love one another because we can try. But what's this as I have loved you? The only way I can love as you love is if I am you. And Yeshua smiles and says, right. Any questions? And Peter may be wondering, what do you want me to feed them? We all know what food is. Food is every word that comes from God. In all of his life, Peter only heard one word that came from God. You know what that was? Yeshua asked, who do they say that I am? Elijah, John. Remember that? And Yeshua said, who do you say that I am? Peter said, thou art the Mashiach, son of God. And Yeshua said, no man told you this. This came. This came. This is the food that came. Peter, feed my lambs. What, Lord? The only food I ever gave you from heaven. Anointed son, anointed son, anointed son is the only food he has to feed. The food that Peter has still coming forward this day. You are anointed son of God, anointed son, anointed son. The revelation of anointed sonship is the food that Peter had to give the least of all of the disciples. The one who has the key to the kingdom of heaven has one message for you. One meal. You are anointed son of God. Anointed son of God. And why do we look? Why, 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 why me? You don't forgot he needed a head. To, I mean, he needed a body to stick his head on. So if he stick his head on you and I'm pointing at you saying anointed son, what do you think I'm talking to? But him who lives in you. And all these things he does without one single word. May you be blessed in a season of silence. That you may see, that you may hear the voice of God as it comes forth through you. Amen and amen.